hospitality. This is our last little study on it tonight. You're going to need your Bible and a lot of turning. And if you write notes, it, it could be uh, going fast tonight because we have a lot to look at. We're going to do a word study and then a survey. And to be able to understand the survey of Luke's gospel, what hospitality means and how crucial it is to missions, you got to understand a certain term because it, what it does is it frames and brackets and really structures the gospel of Luke. And I want to show it to you, but I want to give you the background to it, and, and then you'll understand the power of it in the gospel of Luke when you see it so often used. And that word is visitation, to visit. Um, in the Old Testament, God comes and visits people. And I don't mean come over and have tea, um, although that happened too. Um, when God visits people, it's for two things, and you need to keep both in mind because they're both very strongly emphasized in the Old and New Testament. When God visits someone, an individual or people in general, um, he comes to either punish them or to provide for them in some way. So there's a negative visiting and there's a positive visiting. Let me give you an example, and we're going to turn to these pretty quickly, so stay with me if you would. Sarah was visited by God in the Old Testament and actually says that in Genesis 21.1. The Lord visited Sarah, the first words in the chapter. He visited her. Uh, he came in a very special way. He broke into her life and the history of her life and did something that changed her life. You'll find that when God comes for either positive or negative, when he visits people, it changes everything. So this is no small thing when God visits individuals or people it is profound it is powerful and is life transforming on one level or another so we see sarah is the one and then if you want to turn to exodus if you'll turn there with me joseph said this when he died in egypt he said one day god is going to visit you and he's going to bring you out of the land of bondage and so he said therefore take my bones with you when it, that time comes so we know that the visitation of God is the Exodus. And Exodus itself refers to it that way. In Exodus 3 and verse 16, it says, if I can see it, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I will promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of the Canaanites, blah, 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 and they will listen to your voice. Am I in the right chapter? And verse 3 and verse 19, but I know the king, I must be in the wrong chapter. Chapter 3, I have 3, 16 and 19, 431. Try that one, because that wasn't right. And the people believed, and when they heard the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that they had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. So they heard God had visited his people and that brought them out of bondage. Also look at chapter Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5, when God gives the commandments, the ten words. He says to them, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, as a, am a jealous God. There it is. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the children of the third and fourth generation. So here he's talking about coming in wrath and judgment to them. Gen Exodus 32, verse 34 
But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. So there's a future time where God's going to come and visit them with judgment. Um, So you you have Israel as a nation being visited by God. You have Sarah being visited by God. Chapter Ruth, chapter 1, if you'll turn there. Joshua judges Ruth. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and brought them food. So there, there in Ruth, she, she's going to go back because the Lord had visited. And this was a good visit from God, can I say, because he brought food to them after there had been a great famine. So again, positive thing. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 21. And there are many more I'm just highlighting. Now we have another individual one, and this is Hannah, very similar to Sarah. 1 Samuel 1, 21, Then the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vows. But Hannah did not go up. I got this right again. I have it right, I think. I'm trying to find the word visit, and I think I missed it. I'm sorry. 221. Thank you. I can't read my own writing tonight. 221. Indeed. Thank you. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. So the Lord visited her. In other words, he made a promise to her. And he comes and visits her and gives her a child. We could go on. Joseph says the same thing at the end of Genesis, chapter 50, verses 24 and 25. And throughout the Psalms, throughout prophets, Isaiah 10, 2 and 12, Jeremiah 22, 27, 22. And there's so many more. But what you see is this pattern, and this is important. God comes and visited by punishing his people for their sin or providing for them in his kindness. So, turn to the gospel of Luke with that in mind. And I want to show you how Luke frames, at least one way you can look at how he frames his book. And I would say he views it as the life and ministry of Jesus, including his death, all is a visitation of God. In fact, I would tell you that Christmas, the incarnation of Jesus, is the climax of all of God's visitations. And I'll show you what I mean by that. Luke 1, verse 68, for one, and then verse 78. This is Zechariah's prophecy, knowing his own son and who he would be, and that Messiah was coming because Mary has just been to their house. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. So his son, and more importantly, Jesus, the Messiah, being come, God is visiting them. He's going to redeem them. He's coming to visit them for a good thing. That's how it starts. And by the way, it's in the context of Mary having spent six months with them and them giving her hospitality. And then you have also, if I could go back a little bit, chapter 7 in Luke, chapter 7 and verse 16. The people of, in Jesus' day, they understand what visitation means. 
Jesus raises the widow's son from the dead. And in verse 15 of Luke 7, it says, And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. So in Jesus' life, the miraculous thing of raising a woman from the dead, they looked around, this is God visiting us. This must be God coming to deliver us. And they would obviously have thought from the Romans and the oppression and so forth and so on. Um, Chapter 19 in verse 44, and maybe the most crucial one in this framework. Chapter 19 in verse 44, Jesus has just had the triumphal entry, entry into Jerusalem. He stands at the top of Mount Olives, and I've been privileged to stand there. What an awesome picture it, or view it is. And he looks over the whole Temple Mount and the city itself, and he says, verse 43, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another. Here's why, Ready? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. So we could say this. If you want to look at it chronologically and historically, we could look at the first coming of Jesus is the first visitation. This is Jesus coming, and hear me, Jesus comes the first time to offer his people and all who will receive him God's hospitality. Okay? He's visiting them to offer God's welcome, God's hospitality, God's gospel. Now, let me show you one more thing before we delve into Luke. There's a second visitation where God will come again. Remember what I told you, though? When he comes the first time, this visitation can be positive or negative. Jesus came, and he came not to condemn. It's in his talk with Nicodemus and John. I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save it. This, This first visitation, this offer of God's hospitality, was redemptive. But there's coming another one, and Peter alludes to it. If you want to turn to 1 Peter, Sandy should know this. She's working through this in her D group. Probably covered this, I think, already. 1 Peter chapter 2 reads in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, that's an Israelite term, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against the soul. Keep your conduct honest or good among the Gentiles, honorable. Why? Purpose. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. What's the purpose of it? So that they'll be worshipers. They, they'll glorify God, what? On the day of visitation. Because there's another day of visitation. This is future. The first one has passed in Jesus' life and death and crucifixion. But there's coming a day, will there be a future day of visitation where God's going to come, but this time it will be a time of judgment. And it wouldn't it be great if you lived your life in such a way that when Gentiles looked at you and saw how different you were, that they would end up worshiping and glorifying God and be with him on the day of visitation instead of the judgment that was awaiting them. So Peter alludes to that. So you can see from the very beginning, in fact, let me give you the last one. Luke 24, 17. This is, these first ones were pre-passion uh, visitation terms. This is post. This is after the resurrection. And in 24, 17, Jesus is walking with the two on the Emmaus road. And look what they call him. 
And we'll, we'll get back to this, Lord willing, sometime. And he said to them, Jesus says, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, are, Listen to this. Are you the only visitor? <laughs> From the very beginning of Luke's gospel, all the way through the middle and even to the end, here's what Luke wants to emphasize, that Jesus is God's visitor. He has come to offer and to visit his people. And then he explains to them, he says, I'm not just a visitor like you think. I'm the God visitor who came here, and I will tell you exactly what my visitation meant. And so he goes through them and tells them exactly what his death really means. And it totally, again, always when God visits, changes people's lives and destiny. So we would expect, if that's indeed the framework of Luke's gospel, that God has come to visit his people. He wants to bring deliverance and redemption. But so you would think this, and it's true, and I'm going to show you in the last part of our message. You would think that if that is true about Jesus being God's visitor coming to offer his hospitality, that Luke would be filled with all kinds of stories about meals, hospitality, and you'll find that that is exactly true because Luke's gospel is filled with more meals and stories about hospitality and that sort of thing than any of the four gospels. In fact, the question that Luke's gospel raises because of those stories is this. If indeed God has come to visit his people in Jesus, the question is, will people receive that invitation or that welcome, or will they reject it? And what you're going to find as we survey these stories real quickly is that there's a bunch of both. There's a bunch of both. So let me start out. Luke chapter 1. You can turn with me. We're going to go through them real quickly. You know, I said already before, Mary is having Jesus, and he is still in his mother's womb, um, but very much alive. And even then, um, Elizabeth offers Mary hospitality, because in offering Mary hospitality, what is she doing? She keeps her for six months. And what is she? She's offering hospitality to Jesus at the same time. And what, let me give you two things, if you want to do more of this on your own. There's two things you have to keep in mind. And that is, these stories, most of them have this theme, and scholars call it the triangle of Luke. In other words, it's always Jesus offering hospitality, first part of the triangle, second part, someone receives it, and then the third part, someone rejects it. And in many of the stories, they're all three put together. And you're supposed to put yourself into the story and say, hey, which part of the triangle am I? Jesus is offering to welcome me and give me eternal hospitality, but the question is, have you received it or rejected it? So that's when you read this gospel, when they first read it, you're supposed to ask yourself that question, all right? And the first example is Jesus gets hospitality from Elizabeth in the womb. Why? Because she's a believer. She believes in the Messiah and who he is. Her son becomes John the baptizer. So you see a first example of a story of hospitality and someone who receives Jesus. Let's go to another one. Chapter 4, if you'll turn there. This is the story of Jesus giving his first message at his hometown. And they are not very hospitable to him. <laughs> and so they end up wanting to kick him out of the synagogue. And they eventually, they want to stone him and throw him over a hill. But he leaves them. So he, he says, he's not, he, he, and this is Jesus' statement. No prophet is accepted 
in his own country. And the word accepted is the Greek word to be hospitable or to welcome into someone's home. In other words, he comes to his own people and they don't welcome him. They don't really show him hospitality. In the end, because he tells them stories about Elisha and Elijah and how they reached out way beyond Israel to Gentiles, they end up wanting to kill him for it. But there's a story immediately in his own hometown, Jesus offers them the welcome of God and they reject it and actually want to kill him. In fact, you're going to see that motif climax on the cross. If you'll turn to Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. This is probably maybe the most obvious one, perhaps in Luke's gospel. And you have the story of Jesus at the Simon and the Pharisee's house, and they're having a meal. And what are the signs we've learned so far? When you offer hospitality, what do you do when someone comes into your house? You wash their feet. You anoint them. You give them a kiss of welcome. You get to know who they are. You ask them their name and their identity and all those things. Well, you know the story, Luke 7, 36 through 50. Simon the Pharisee does none of those things. And so Jesus points it out, too. In fact, if you look in the text and read it through, the woman comes in, and she's a woman of the streets. In fact, Simon says if Jesus knew what kind of woman she was, and he gives her a label. Now, you can trace it for yourself. We don't have time tonight, but I encourage you, trace the word sinner all the way through because it's not just a theological term that you've sinned. It's a sociological term because her sin has social consequences. You weren't to be around her. She wasn't to be around you. It's almost like you're unclean and you shouldn't be around someone of immorality or whatever she was. But Jesus lets her come in and she does all the the hospitality protocols that Simon did not do. She washes his feet with her hair and the tears, and she kisses his feet and anoints him with the, 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 the perfumed box that she has, and all the things. She does exactly what it is. And so here you have a story of the triangle. You have Jesus, and Jesus, from being the guest, now becomes the host. Right? And he has to tell him, Simon, here's what you did. This is not, you, you were rude. You didn't give me any hospitality. You have rejected me. But here's a woman. Now, now watch. He's a Pharisee and religious and supposed to be with God. And here she is, a street person, and has nothing, quote unquote, going with God. And here's the one who shows hospitality, and here's the one who doesn't. Here's the one that receives Jesus, and here's the one who rejects him. And what you're going to find is the story is, Go through Luke's gospel and say, hey, all the times Jesus sits around tables with people, who does he sit around with? Because to be offered hospitality with Jesus means that he eradicates and erases the social labels. If you read, for instance, Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, which is the precursor to all the stories of the lost—remember the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son— but the reason or the occasion Jesus tells those three stories is what? That the scribes and Pharisees criticized him to his disciples that he eats with tax collectors and sinners. Because he's always showing hospitality to them. He eats with them. They sit at his table. To sit in the oriental countries, in the, in the eastern countries, if you sat at the table with someone, you were their friend. They accepted you. Not because they accepted everything you were like, but they accepted you as a friend. And he was criticized. In fact, you could say... Because Jesus came and offered God's hospitality to people like that, it got him crucified. Um, that's why he got killed. And that's the story behind the three lost sons. And, and, and it's the story also behind what else? 
It's the story behind the prodigal son, isn't it? You got the story of the father who, when the wicked son comes home, what does he do? He shows him hospitality, doesn't he? He lets them change his clothes. He lets them put sandals on him. He restores him back into the family, and not a servant, but puts a ring on his finger. He receives him. But what does the older son do? The older son not only doesn't like his brother, but what does he do? There's a party and a celebration, and where does he? He stays outside the house. He will not join in the love and the hospitality that is being brought back to his younger son. Why? Because he's rejected it. He's rejected it. So those stories continue to go on. Chapter 9, turn over there real quick. Chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. This is the beginning of what's called the travel narrative section of Luke's gospel. Between chapter 9 and 19, Jesus is, all these stories in those 10 chapters are Jesus on his way to die in Jerusalem. So you have to understand them in light of the cross. That's where Jesus is headed. All those stories are along the way. And chapter 9 is the beginning of them. And he goes to chapter 9 and verse 51, a Samaritan village. And when they drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people, watch this, they did not receive him. Now there have been Samaritans in Luke's gospel that did. Obviously the good Samaritan. And the good Samaritan, why is he good? What does he do to demonstrate it? Well, he shows hospitality to a guy half dead on the side of the road. He just doesn't get him off the side of the road, but he puts oil on him and he cleans him up and he takes him to a place and he puts him in protection and provides for him and food and he pays for his lodging. Why? Because that's what good Samaritans would do, right? So it says in chapter, verse 53, because his face was set toward, and his disciples say, and James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? That's the Elijah, or Elisha story, I should say. And he says, you don't know what spirit you're of. So Jesus came even to help those and love those people who reject him and will not show him hospitality along the road. He wants to stay there, but they won't keep him and they won't put him up and they won't provide for him. So he moves on. Chapter 10 and verse 16. Can I read this briefly with you, please? It says... Um, I'm trying to find the right verse here. Verse 10, chapter 10, verse 2, the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors in his harvest. Go your way. Now watch. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So he's sending out 70 people. Now here's where you and I come in. So what does Jesus train his disciples to do? Well, he came to be offering the hospitality of God to people. Now, what does he want them to do? He wants them to go to villages to completely rely on people to take them in and show hospitality. And if they receive that hospitality and give it to them, they give them the gospel and the good news. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, hospitality, first say shalom to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking, hospitality, what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Don't go from house to house. Let them prove that hospitality. And whatever you eat or drink is set before you. Heal the sick. Tell them the kingdom of God is turned. But if they don't receive you and they don't give you hospitality, then you shake the dirt off of your feet as you walk out. 
because they didn't receive the gospel. See, here's what you have to find, is that now the disciples are Jesus' ministers of hospitality. They're to take God's hospitality and his offer of welcome into the kingdom to all the other people. And if they receive it, they'll show you hospitality. It's the way that Jesus worked. Chapter 10 and verses 38 through 42. You know this story, and there's some good application real quick. Mary and Martha are showing Jesus hospitality. They have them into the home. It seems like it's Martha's home. She's probably the oldest, and so she's the one in charge. At first, they're both in the kitchen giving the normal hospitality, which the women would do. Jesus has a group of Talmud, which is Talmudim, which is a name, the word for disciples. They're all sitting in a circle, and Jesus is in the middle, and he's teaching them. And Mary leaves the kitchen and comes out and sits at Jesus' feet, which is a traditional technical term for being a disciple. And Jesus says, when Martha complains that Mary should be helping with the hospitality and how important it is, because this is Jesus in their house, what does Jesus say? Martha, Martha, and by the way, when you get a double evocative and you say someone's name twice, Moses, Moses, Jacob, Jacob, Saul, Saul, I mean, you're, you're, you're saying something so important that you're going to call them out in public and you don't want them to miss it. And here's what Jesus says about hospitality. Physical hospitality is absolutely great, but Mary sitting at my feet to get the hospitality I'm offering her, he calls it this. This is the best portion that won't be taken away from her. So Jesus tells them, your hospitality is great, but the one I am offering you, see, I know you think I'm the guest today, but I'm really the host. And I'm offering you a hospitality that is even greater than the one that you might even offer me. Chapter 19, if you'll turn there, you got the story of Zacchaeus. And again, I'm not telling you all of them. These are the major ones. Zacchaeus is up in the sycamore tree, and Jesus comes down. And, uh, now watch. How important is the hospitality and what Jesus is trying to symbolize? He tells Zacchaeus, come down and make haste. Remember what you do when you're a host? You make haste. You run like Abraham did. You get things ready, and you're excited about it. You're in a hurry because you know how important your visitor is. And Jesus says, make haste and come down, for I must stay at your house today. <laughs> Talk about inviting yourself over, right? Hospitality. And he says, hey, I'm coming to your house. You know why? Because you're the, you're the host today, and I'm going to be your guest. But by the time it's all over, like, like the other pattern, reversal, Jesus will have become the host. To the point where he says, today salvation has come to this house. Now watch. And he is a son of Abraham, meaning, yeah, he's Jewish, but now he's, what, a disciple of mine. And the fact also is that he's Jewish, because his Jewishness is not the important part. It's whether he received the welcome and the hospitality that I'm offering. And Jesus, at this, over a table and over a lunch, changed Zacchaeus so radically by offering him God's hospitality that he's giving away a lot of money to make things right and how he's changed. Again, God's visitation has changed his life. And then lastly, can I tell you the verse Luke 24 in verses 28 through 31. They're on the road to Emmaus, Cleopas and his friend, and they're walking, and Jesus is like he's going to keep walking and go on by them. And the Bible says this word, and they constrain him. 
they, they literally almost want to force him to let them give him hospitality overnight. They want him to stay in the inn on the road, and they want to have Jesus stay. And so he says he will, and he stays with them. And you know the story, what happens. They're having a meal together. They're showing hospitality. But who becomes the host when he starts out the guest? Well, Jesus does. And he breaks the bread, and he gives it to them. And they, what does it say? And when they, in the breaking of the bread, their eyes were opened, and they realized it was him how did they realize it was him? Over a meal. And I didn't even tell you, we didn't have time, but read right before this, the cross, what is the greatest meal of hospitality that's ever been served that we always still do? Yeah, the Last Supper. Again, Jesus is the host at the Last Supper, and there's a meal there, and he says, I'm the Lamb of God. And he says, do this for me. So we continue, and we have pa- when we have the Passover meal here, we continue to remember the welcome and the offer of God's hospitality in Jesus Christ. So his birth incarnation is a visitation to offer us hospitality, and so is his crucifixion. His crucifixion, as we remember it, is saying, hey, and this is what God did to have to do the cost of your hospitality and the welcome of God. Now, we didn't even go through the book of Acts and how Cornelius, the first Gentile convert, really, other than the Ethiopian eunuch, he's saved. And how are they saved? When Peter learns that he can have meals with him. I mean, Publius at the end in Acts 28, people come into the kingdom because Publius offers hospitality. And on and on throughout Luke and Acts both, here's what God says. See, this is the ministry of Jesus. He came into the world as God's visitor to bring visitation And now it's you and I. Between the first visitation and the last one in the future, here's what you and I's job is. To offer God's hospitality. To show God's welcome to a world of sinners. Dropping their labels, sinner and whatever else it is in this world, and showing them the love of Christ and what he's done for them and giving them the good news. And one of the best ways, can I tell you, that you can do that is to use your home. To have people around your table, like Jesus had around all the tables that he sat at, and welcome people, no matter who they were and what their labels were and what their life was about. Jesus said, here's what God's ministry through me is. It's God visiting us. But the sad thing is, isn't it, that Peter had to warn people that, see, you didn't know your day of visitation. See, God was coming and offered you hospitality eternal, and they didn't recognize it, and so they rejected him, and they crucified him. You have a lot of friends, and so do I. People who are rejecting God's welcome, his visitation, his offer of divine hospitality. It's our job to use our tables, and whatever means he's given to us, to turn hospitality, hostility into hospitality so they can be welcomed into God's house forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just the wonderful picture that the gospel of Luke brings to us. That, Father, when you sent your son, he was the hospitality of God. He was your visitation to us. Father, I know that someday Jesus is coming back and we pray that it would be today, very soon. And that day of visitation will come upon us. I pray we would not be, kept, we would not be unaware, but we would continue the mission as they did in Acts 
of bringing your visitation to the world, bringing your hospitality, your welcome to the world to let them know that they can sit at your table and show them that by having them sit at our table. May we build relationships for the gospel and use all that you've given to us, even our homes, for that end, that glorious end. And we'll praise you and thank you for that in Jesus' precious name. Amen.